0: Welcome back to another episode of Real People, Real Hope. Today, I'm joined by President and CEO, Dave Game. Welcome back, Dave. Hello, Jill. And also our COO, Sean DeFore.
1: Hey, Jill. It's interesting you say today you're joined by...
0: Yeah, yeah, it's always you. We're always here. (laughs) Just so you guys know, Dave and Sean will always be here. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. God willing. Absolutely. (laughs) Can't escape us. (laughs) I don't want to. So today we are gonna be uh, talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, And it's near and dear to my heart because I have a pretty personal story that goes along with that. Um, So today we are gonna be talking about hospice. Um, And one of the things that we know about hospice is that it's hard to think about on a sunny day when everything's going well and life just seems to be going as planned. But oftentimes that story can change in a minute. And that's really what happened in my own life. Um, It was a sunny day, the day that I got a phone call from my dad uh, that my mom was back in the hospital. She has been, had been, I should say, uh, suffering from MS for about seven years. I mean, she had been in and out of the hospital, but one of the things that we know is when my dad calls and says, your mom's in the ambulance and on the way back to the hospital, um, that kind of started to feel like a normal day for us. But the day that she... um, That story changed. Uh, It just felt really different. It was was sunny, it was the middle of summer, um, and I got that phone call. And what I didn't know when I got to the hospital uh, is just how severe things had gotten for my mom. And so when you say that life turns um, on a dime and unexpected things happen, that's certainly what happened that day. So just six hours after entering the hospital doors, the doctor looked at me and said the words that I was never prepared to hear. Um, your mom's dying, and we need to think about calling hospice. And on that day, I had no idea really what hospice was. I had heard about it, um, but it was just one of those moments in life where I was just caught completely off guard. I had no idea what questions to ask. I had no idea how to react. Um, And I said when I got into this work, I never want someone to have that experience ever again. Um, that before you get into that experience, you need to know what questions to ask. You need to know who your hospice provider would be um, so that you're prepared. So, Dave, I know that you kind of had a similar story um, in your own family with your dad. Um, And I want to just dispel some of the myths because everyone kind of has their own idea about what hospice is and isn't. So can you tell us a little bit about your story?
1: Yeah, sure. So before I get into that, let me just provide a little bit of a frame, so because this can be a very heavy conversation, right? And some of that we can't help. But I also want to make sure that we understand that the context for this for us is the work we do is to to serve and strengthen families, and the work we do in hospice is no different. And and the other frame, I think, that we never want to lose sight of is we do this work. We do all of our work, but particularly hospice through the lens of faith
2: Absolutely.
1: and that doesn't mean that everybody that comes to us shares that faith um, but the lens through which we look when we do important and sometimes really hard work is is that through faith and I'm blessed to have that same lens on in my my life right and so yeah uh, yeah you know our story with my dad was um, similar but different in, in that um, he had been um, diagnosed with cancer in January of the, that year, and he uh, was approaching death in December. And so it was, it was, it was a little more predictable, mm-hmm. um, in hindsight anyways. Um, but the other difference, Jill, from your story to mine, is that I did know about hospice. I, I happened to be with an organization that did hospice. And, and yet in a family dynamic... You know, you don't always, that that clinical knowledge, if you will, that professional knowledge, doesn't really mean a whole lot when you're sitting around the kitchen table where you and your sibs grew up with mom and dad, and you're talking about dad's cancer. Right. Right? And it's, it all, all sort of bets are off at that point. And so, um, one of the things we know about our work in hospice, and our story is a great example, um, is that... Um, The vast majority of families who go through the hospice experience with us, and in fact, if you look across the state and national data, it's the same, that the number one um, sort of um, feedback we get from families after the death event is they wish they would have started sooner. They wish they would have engaged hospice sooner. Um, Because it's not until you experience it that you really understand what it does for you as a, as a family and, and, and for the, for the person who is, um, who is ill.
2: So, so two quick things. I'm, I think the, the neophyte when it comes to hospice compared to the two of you, because I haven't had a personal experience with it. But first of all, Jill, thank you for sharing your story. I think people, people, we had a whole podcast about Dave and I with our spouses and we haven't really delved into your history. So, it was nice that you shared a little bit about yourself Yeah, first. we should do
1: a whole – like a mini-series we of should. Jill. The, wow. All about Jill. Nope. The deep and complex Jill. People are waiting. No one wants we'll come back that. to that sometime. They some want time. to hear it. Yeah.
2: Um, and the other thing was, Dave, you, you talked about the faith perspective that we bring to um, even our end-of-life care, just like we do with all of our programming. And I do think that's one thing that makes our hospice program at Wellspring unique is that we have that um, spiritual component for those who want it. Right. Uh, or need it, um, available. It's sort of an integral part of how we approach it.
1: Yeah, and if there's ever a time in the life of an individual or a family that the big questions of, of faith are on the table, mm-hmm. it's during Absolutely. that time. yeah. And we don't necessarily um, pretend to have all the answers, because sometimes they're just, on this side of heaven's gate, they're just too hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some assurances we know, and there are, there are some truths we know, and um, and that's what we that's sort of what we hang on to.
2: So as someone who hasn't had a personal experience with hospice, when I've heard the term hospice before I really knew about it and was involved in the work, I always thought of it as this is um, uh, sort of someone has received a death sentence and it's the last couple of days before, you know, they're going to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get sort of sentenced to hospice, if you will. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it is. Well, it Can, certainly shouldn't not exactly, be right, but, but I sh- think that's, share a little bit about what it actually is. Yeah, so a
1: couple of things. I think number number one, um, you know, we we often associate hospice with cancer diagnoses, and and while that is often true, it's not only truth for that. There are other diagnoses, other conditions. Jill talked about around with MS mm-hmm. um, could lead to to um, hospice services, but I think w- one of the things that makes hospice really hard for Families to sort of get their head around is that if you think about it from the moment a diagnosis of cancer is given and then shared, we use words like fight it, beat it, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I'm not going to let it get me and and you know we 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 really sort of gear up for battle, and you know the person who with that diagnosis sort of has to take that attitude and does. And the family sort of comes alongside and, you know, whole communities sometimes rally to this, right, with yellow ribbons and this. And and that's all our desire to put up a good fight and to live. And, and that just – because we have things to live for, right? And, and so I think – and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think what happens is when treatment hasn't worked, when – uh, everything from that point forward in terms of clinical intervention is not just futile, it, it can take away from the quality of life, then it's really hard to be the first person in that circle to raise their hand and say, I'm no longer fighting. I think in my dad's case, he was there long before many of us in the family. I think he he had accepted it, he knew it, but he did not want to be the guy to say, hey, kids and grandkids, I'm I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And so so we we just have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that learning about hospice is um taking away from the fight, right? But learning about hospice is preparing ourselves for contingencies that we don't control often enough. To to Jill's point about wanting people to know what it is. So your question was what is it? It 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 really is <clears throat> a set of services led by really excellent nurses who who really come alongside that family and that individual and and help them take control of the situation because if you think about it when you get to the point of saying it's time for hospice you, you are really out of control there's there's nothing you can do to control what's going to happen and that's a horrible feeling and helpless feeling even mm-hmm. And so part of what hospice is designed to do is put control back in the lives and the hands of that family by saying, what will a good day look like for you tomorrow? Right. How can we help you achieve that? What do you, what do you want for yourself and your family in the next three months when we have three months? In my dad's case, he was on hospice for 28 hours. We never had that opportunity to sort of think together as a family of how will we manage this, right? Right. So, so it, it first and foremost, it starts with those sort of quality of life and time questions. We're less concerned about, well, at that point, we're not concerned about cure anymore. We are concerned about quality. Pain management is huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our own hospice, you know, we see 98%, 99% uh, pain management on, on the uh, uh, scoring and the assessments we do. Nobody should be in pain. And there's no reason for it with the arsenal of, of protocols and pain meds that are available to us now. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's pain management. But it's really saying to that individual and that family, what's a good day look like for you tomorrow? How can we help you achieve it? And how do you want to spend this time? Right? We, had a, we had a client not long ago <clears throat> whose answer to that question was, I just want to wanna watch football with my boys on Sunday afternoon. I don't know, he must not have been a Lions fan, right? Because why would you do that? (laughs) But that's what he wanted because that's what they'd always done. Mm -hmm. And to make a couple or a handful more of Sunday memories yelling at the TV about football was what mattered to him. Mm -hmm. And so then it's a matter of managing that whole week with pain meds and and protocols to make sure that Sunday's going to be the best day Mm -hmm. so they can do that. So it's really about wrapping services around – Uh, that individual and that family to give them what they need to live each day to its full, which frankly is sort of very biblical for all of us, isn't it?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I I wish that we had the opportunity to have this conversation with people um, before they were ill Mm -hmm. and facing the choice of hospice. I think about, uh, you know, we shared in the first podcast episode that my wife is a cancer survivor and she's built this network of people that uh, Mm -hmm. support each other across the country sort of young women cancer survivors and there there have been a couple stories um, that i can recall of women who relapsed um, or had a recurrence and uh, had young kids and spouses at home and i think if they if they had known if they had had the choice to spend the last few months of their life Differently, mm-hmm. um, the families would have looked very different in the year or two after their passing, and I think um, uh, the person who needed that care uh, would have had a very different end of life right. experience. Um, so it just it makes me think that uh, are we not doing a good job of educating people early enough about yeah. this option or explaining what it is? Why, yeah, why you know, people?
1: Sean, I. I I think it's a really hard conversation to have, right? Because as Jill said, when the sun's shining and life's Mm -hmm. going good, you know, how do you have that conversation? I mean, if you want to kill a dinner party, just let's say, let's talk about hospice for a little while and see what we know. Um, you'll 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 have an empty table very quickly at that point. It, it's just
2: it's really I'll remember difficult. That next Thanksgiving, yeah, wow. you can try it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I've used that several
1: tactic. times actually. So it, yeah, it'll clear the room for you. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a combination, I think, of of having high level conversations about the fact that we're all of us cannot predict what tomorrow's going to bring, mm-hmm. right? And so we need to live our lives prepared for any and all kinds of things. You know, the Bible says, um, you know, that, that um, uh, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we might have a heart of wisdom. What I love about that verse is it's, it's about getting in touch with our own mortality so that we'll live wiser, right? And so somewhere there's a conversation be had about, about who we are as people and what we value as families and, and, and in, our, in, our, uh, uh, in our communities and so forth um, and, and being willing to have the hard conversations when we need to. I think part of the problem for, for folks, once a diagnosis is on the table and that fight begins, um, it's really hard to have that conversation. And uh, as I said earlier, nobody wants to be the first mm-hmm. to, to bring it up and and our frankly our um our medical um community particularly those who are in the fight are not equipped to bring it up mm-hmm. and and so it's it's hard for doctors oncologists in particular to 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 know when it's time to have the conversation right and so we just we have to you're right we have to do a better job of it and and help people understand it's it's part of our own sort of life planning.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really important part because with my mom's story, she was 55 when she died. Like no one was expecting for her to pass away from MS, Mm -hmm. right? And so I wish on the days when it was sunny and when she was feeling good and when my family was together, that we would have those conversations not in a time of stress, Um, By the time the word hospice was uttered from the doctor's mouth, Mm -hmm. my family was in trauma mode. It was, what do you mean my mom's going to die tonight? What do you mean that she's that ill? You know, everyone's having their own own experience, you know, and then we had to come together as a family and make this really difficult decision on behalf of my mom who couldn't speak. And so it is those important conversations. And Sean, I have to I have to go back to the work that we do just in trauma in general. Mm -hmm. Um, We see it with our child and family work. We see it in our senior service work. And it's all about this kind of family dynamic under stress. Um, And I, I go back to what Dave is saying about you have to have these conversations and you have to have them early and not while you're stressed or in a traumatic experience. So can you talk a little bit about just kind of that family dynamic and why it's important that people have those conversations early on?
2: Yeah, well, and I I think uh, when you talk about trauma and stress and how that changes the way a family functions when there's extreme stress to the level it could be considered trauma happening, um, and what we know about how trauma impacts the brain, not just in the long term for people who experience it, but in the short term, it it puts people in a place and it puts families in a place where making tough, rational decisions about what should happen uh, is really difficult. Um, so, uh, you know, some getting that diagnosis and being told there's not anything else that we can do, there's nothing more mm-hmm. we can do, or, uh, the prognosis is not good. Um, that is an extremely unusual situation that people are not routinely prepared to be able to deal mm-hmm. with in a rational way. That's a traumatic experience. Uh, and so when that moment comes to expect that that family, that individual, those members of that family are equipped or um, even mentally in a place to be able to make rational good decisions for what the next three months, two months, 24 mm-hmm. hours should look like, uh, is in a, it's a little bit unrealistic. Um, and, and there are some families that are able to, but in general, um, being able to have that conversation on a sunny day when mm-hmm. your brain isn't drowned in uh, cortisol from the trauma that's <laughs> happening uh, right. in real time, uh, would be a real gift. Mm-hmm. It'd yeah. be a real gift, um, not just to that person who's who's suffering, but to that family.
0: Well, and Dave, I guess that's a, the next follow up question for you, is. I mean, you talk globally about kind of what's important to you as mm-hmm. a person and making sure the people that you love know that, what's important as a family and kind of how we treat mm-hmm. you know, really difficult decisions. But what are some of those questions that we should be thinking about or asking when we are sitting around a, a, a dinner table or with mm-hmm. our loved ones?
1: Well, I, I think it starts with sort of the value construct that one has in life and the value system that that sort of guides our families in whatever way that may be for any given family. And so I go back to the, that lens of faith, right? And, um, you know, what I want my kids to know, and I know they know this, and what I want my grandkids to know as they grow is that I I am perfectly ready for what God ordains for my life, Right and and if it's if 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 i go home sooner than i think i will or sooner than others are ready for it's because it's because god had ordained that and and so we start with that and and helping one another understand that that that's part of life on on this earth anyways as people of faith and so and that um that while we are on this earth, uh, we believe, and it's right in our, um, it's right in our mission statement at Wellspring, that there is a God-given potential that we're all living with, and and our and and it's not defined by, by health. It's not defined by functionality. It's not defined by power or status or anything else. It's defined by the fact that that God Himself has given us life and And we want to live it to the full, whatever that is for any given day, which is why the hospice model of saying, "What's a good day for you look like? What's a day of purpose going to look like for you, despite limited you know uh movement and whatever whatever may be going on?" And so I think helping families have the deep conversations is really, really important, and that's 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 hard to do uh and it's not a it's not an event it's it's sort of a process over time it's part of who we are as people. I know in my dad's case you know and Jill, I know you've heard me say this before, but you know when he was ill, my boys, who are now in their thirties, were ten and eight and and my daughter Rachel was four, and as their dad of these little kids who worshiped their grandpa. You know, I would have done everything in my power to shield them from seeing their grandpa getting ill and and deteriorating. Frankly, um, and yet I couldn't, could I? Right. And so, what I what I did learn, though, with hindsight, is that my dad was teaching them lessons through his illness that I had no idea were going on. Lessons about faith and family and and prayer and caring for one another, and how a family deals with challenge at such an impressionable age for them. I could have spent the next decade or more trying to teach that, and I probably would have failed. But in his illness, dad taught those lessons. And that's why it matters for us to do the kind of work we do with families when, when there is illness in the house, when there is Challenge and stress because God's still at work, and I can I can look at those kids now, in their thirties, kids, and um, still see the remnants of, of who my dad was to them, because of the way they live their life now.
2: Well, I I love what you said uh, before, Dave, that you know God has preordained this journey for us, um, so we don't necessarily know when our last day will be. Uh, but what hospice does is it returns a measure of control That's right. a, a, to a situation where people feel like they're out of control. right? And those lessons that your dad was able to pass on through his illness, um, not everybody has the opportunity to do, but hospice may offer an opportunity That's to exactly structure right. uh, the last few days, months, hours right. of a life in such a way that... Um, <clears throat> that person's purpose can still be lived right. uh, in, in their last moments. Um, and uh, being able to have a conversation yeah. as a family that's guided by experts who know what this journey looks right. like and how to make the best of it, I think would help a family that's going through um, those very difficult circumstances make good decisions uh, so that when the time comes, there is no regret about what the end looked like.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right, and you know the, the the services of hospice. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's uh, obviously it's led by you know very talented nurses who are passionate about this work, but there's a team there as well, social workers and and in our case, uh, a, a, a very robust chaplaincy and bereavement model to help families move through the stages of grief that often start before death of that loved one, right? Mm-hmm. The anger in particular, and the the wondering and the uh, the doubt and and all the things that come with that kind of that kind of an event in the life of a family, and so having those services available at at points in time when you're not even sure you need them but uh, but they're there for you is is part of why the hospice experience i think is so um, so well loved by people after they've been through it. If you hear people talk like Jill and I have talked about having been through some level of of this kind of end-of-life care, um, those who've really experienced hospice, um, they talk in glowing terms about it, mm-hmm. um, which is really sort of odd when you think about it because the end is always the same right. for hospice families. And yet there is a connection that they have with their hospice workers, with their chaplain, with one another that is almost doesn't fit what we know to be the circumstance. But but it's because of what you said, Sean, it gives families that opportunity to, to really sort of control what's coming next as best they can. And really taking the clinical burden off of them, they don't have to be clinicians anymore, they don't have to be that intense caregiver, um, gives them an opportunity to focus on relationships and memories and what matters most. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the magic of hospice. To be honest with you, well,
2: and this is sort of a crass question, but who who actually pays for hospice?
1: So it's a uh, covered benefit under Medicare, um, and just about every insurance out there mm-hmm. uh, will will cover benefit uh, will cover hospice benefits for for folks. Um, technically, uh, there has to be a six month terminal diagnosis. Um, but we have seen, um, we, we we sometimes, you know, doctors don't always get it right. And we've seen people who hit six and seven months, we recertify them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're on service for a very long time. Um, most are not. Um, we've even seen um, God intervene. And we have some alumni of our hospice program that um, were in a terminal situation that uh, – uh, really, miraculous healing has occurred, and um, they were discharged off a of hospice. That happens too, not yeah. frequently, but it does happen. And again, it goes back to sort of God's sovereignty in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. We can get it wrong, and and mm-hmm. and He can tell us otherwise. So it's 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 a it's a benefit, if you will, really available to all. Nobody should go without hospice because of 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 uh, coverage or dollars. Yeah.
2: Which is, I think, good for families to know. So it it doesn't have to be a barrier uh, to families exploring this option. Um,
0: Yeah, I think the other thing, um, Dave, that we need to just touch on is really just knowing that you have a choice. So, one of the things that I wasn't aware of is that when you get to the point that you're having the discussion about hospice, that you actually get to choose your provider in a lot of cases. So, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: yeah and and that's really important because you're picking you're picking a partner right to walk with your family in one of the most intimate stressful emotional and sacred times in the life of a family and so choosing wisely around who you are as a person as a family what matters most to you uh is really really important I think you know our uh, as I said earlier to start our our conversation uh, today, the the frame, the, the lens of faith is the lens through which we look at all of these things. And so uh, to know that the Wellspring way with this is, is to understand that each and every day is a gift from God. And our job in hospice and every program we run is to help those individuals live it to the fullest of their potential that day. And we don't always get to... Uh, uh, you know, know exactly what that's going to be. But that's, that's the approach we bring. And so families who are looking for that kind of a lens need to find a hospice that have that faith perspective that is going to honor that and help support that for them.
0: So, Sean, you get to work with our uh, teams of people that do this every single day. And so you get to see the amazing people that just are out there serving and literally sitting with families as they're Mm -hmm. going through really difficult things. So as people are thinking about just choosing a hospice provider, what would you say about maybe how we do things differently at Wellspring just as far as our staff and their training and expertise? Yeah.
2: And I I was actually just thinking as Dave was talking about how special um, and unique the staff in our hospice program are. Um, But what I hear from them, and I I think they – they are a part of our mission, be, in part because of their faith calling as well. Um, they uh, see it as a gift um, and a blessing to be invited in to mm-hmm. a family's life during this very critical and very difficult time. And they are um, superior caregivers. Um, they are uh, deeply grounded and rooted in uh, our mission and the faith Uh, that our mission grows out of, and I I believe that's part of what makes them uniquely prepared, qualified, um, to be able to walk with families on this difficult end-of-life journey and advise and support them. And I think Wellspring's uh, family orientation Um, And even we've talked a lot about trauma in in the last episode, in this episode, the sort of education and understanding uh, we give our staff around um, trauma, what's that, what that looks like and how to work with folks that are going through difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, It just makes our staff and our hospice program the perfect package for being able to, um, to provide this support and the chaplaincy that we have, that's part of our hospice program, the social work services that we have that are part of our hospice program, it just, all of it comes together to make, I think, what is the absolute perfect uh, team to work with families at end of life.
1: And and our our hospice team would tell you that if you've seen one case, you've seen one case Mm -hmm. (laughs) because every family is different. Every circumstance is different. And they're just, they're just amazing at putting together a sort of customized experience. And, you know, we haven't talked about it and we're running out of time, but the, the The conversation about the volunteers we get in hospice, um, who are just amazing, amazing people, who yeah. will uh, who will go through the training and sit at a bedside so a family can get a respite, or or um, you know come alongside somebody. We had a we had a gentleman who um, was on our service, and we found out through the course of working with that family that at one point, so if I recall the story right, he had lived on a uh, on a on a boat. On, on a bay in California, and sort of was a hippie type, my guess is what I would describe, and loved to play the guitar and just hang out and do that. So we found a volunteer who could just sort of hang out and play the guitar with him, and he got his guitar out, and the two of them made music together. And that became a huge memory for that family. And so finding that unique way to honor people's lives uh, is, is important, and our team does that really, really well.
0: Absolutely. So we have to wrap up for the day. I think there's probably 15 different subjects in here that we could probably dig into and go a little bit deeper with. But as we close today, one of the things that you said, Dave, that I just want to touch on one more time, because I think it's really important, um, is this idea that if you have air in your lungs, which all of you do because you're listening right now, um, that you have the ability today to live out your God-given potential and to really lean into that, to really figure out what that is for you, um, to have conversations about that with your family and, you know, to just ignite that conversation before it's too late, I just think is really important. Um, before my mom died, one of the things she told me, which is, I would say, probably one of the best life lessons that she has ever given me, um, is to live life without regret And so I just want you guys, all of you out there listening, um, to just think about that tonight. Maybe have the conversation with your family that you haven't had yet that you need to have uh, and just really lean into those relationships in your life that really matter. So thank you, Dave. Thank you, Sean, for...
2: So Jill, I'm going to interrupt you because usually, you know, we have a guest that you're thanking and, you know, before you do your wrap up and... I want to take the opportunity to thank Dave and Jill, both of you, for sharing your stories um, and just being real about the the kind of positives, negatives, ups, downs of that experience with your mom and with your dad. Um, I think sharing those experiences with the people who are listening will hopefully, um, you know, inspire them to think differently about mm-hmm. um, the last stage with their loved one and, and maybe Um, you know, make the best of it uh, because of your sharing your story. Well, that's why we call it real people, real hope.
0: (laughs) That's right. Couldn't have ended it any better. And um, you know what, if one person has that conversation tonight, then it's all worth it. So Mm -hmm. thank you all for tuning in. Um, It's a privilege to do this time with you and just to do real, real life. And I hope you all have some real hope and we look forward to talking (laughs) to you next time.